Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're so glad you're listening with us today. Today, we are concluding our series, God Strong. We've been discovering some everyday practices that we can do to be spiritually stronger in our walk with Jesus. In this series, we've talked about finding regular time to study the scriptures, putting prayer into action, and discovering how our entire lives can be used to express worship to God. And that even includes how we use our resources and our giving. Last week, we looked at the importance of solitude and listening for the voice of God apart from the noise of the world. Today, Pastor Nicole will wrap things up with a powerful message about the vital importance of sharing our faith and understanding the power of being a new creation. It's going to be a great and challenging message, so let's get started today. Here's Pastor Nicole. Well, good morning. We are two weeks into our 21 days of prayer and worship, and that means someone has been praying and worshiping from Erie First for 336 hours straight. Isn't that exciting? Now, it's not too late to get involved in our prayer and worship journey for 21 days that we're on. If you would like to be involved this last week, you can sign up to pray and worship for one-hour increments at eeriefirst.org slash 21 days. And we have a whole week left, so we'd love for you to participate. If you've been meaning to be part of this, but you just haven't nailed down a time, now is your time to be part of it. God is doing amazing things. And so next Sunday, we will celebrate all that God has done. We will hear uh, testimonies of, of ways that God has moved. Um, and on August 9th, we'll be right here in the parking lot at Erie First. So invite someone to come with you. We have great expectation that God has heard our prayers, and I am believing for breakthrough and revival next Sunday, August 9th at 10 a.m. in the parking lot. So this is our last week of the God Strong series, and we have been talking about spiritual disciplines and how we can engage in these spiritual disciplines to help us remain strong and grow in our faith. Now, spiritual disciplines, they're regular practices that benefit our spiritual life and produce fruit. And so spiritual disciplines are, they're a way of sowing into the spirit. These habits or practices that we regularly do is the way to get us into a position for the transforming work that God wants to do in us. And so it just allows us to be in a position for God to work in our lives. Now, we've covered some really important habits over these last several months, uh, like Bible intake, how we consume and understand the Word of God. Uh, we've talked about prayer. We've talked about worship. We've talked about giving or generosity. Last week, Pastor Don talked to us about solitude and Sabbath and how important that was. And today, the discipline that I want to end this incredible series with is about faith sharing. It's about sharing the faith that we're growing so strong in. And so this week I read this incredible moving story um, of some missionaries in South Africa. Uh, this couple, they went to work with the Somali people uh, in northern Kenya. And they went to a town named Garissa. Uh, and they lived there and they worked among the people. And they, and they loved the people and they tried to share with them uh, the message of who Jesus is and the hope that he has. And after living there several years, uh, they had a baby son, and they named him Hendrik. And gradually, Hendrik developed a mysterious illness. Uh, they, they could not figure out what was wrong with him. He became sicker and sicker, and tragically, at age two, uh, he finally died. And the parents were devastated. I mean, just completely devastated and heartbroken about their young son. And, and through a series of events, 
they discovered that Hendrik was actually slowly being poisoned to death by people in the Somali community who were opposed to the church and they wanted the missionaries to leave. And so they slowly were poisoning this young baby. And their son was killed by the people to whom they were loving, to whom that they were ministering to. And at Hendrick's funeral, his father uh, said to the Muslim leaders in that community, uh, you think we're going away, but we're not. Every time you walk by this grave, it will remind you that there was a father who loved your community enough to allow his son to die here so that you can know the love of Jesus. What, what, a, what a powerful story. Those missionaries paid an extremely high price to fulfill the call of God on their life. Now, did you know that each of us, every single one of us has a call of God on our lives to share our faith? And to be God strong, we have to practice the spiritual discipline intentionally because it, it does not come easily all of the time. It can be easy to neglect. But each of us were appointed, each of us are sent, each of us are commissioned to fulfill what the scripture calls the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. And so today, I want to deep dive into a passage in the scripture, just one particular passage today out of 2 Corinthians 5. And this is where the words ministry of reconciliation come from. This is just one of the many passages in the scripture that remind us of our call and our mission uh, to share our faith. And so I want to read from 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, and I want to start in verse 10, because this is where Paul is telling us about the ministry of reconciliation. And he is saying, listen, uh, he is going to set the lens in which we need to view this spiritual discipline of faith sharing through. And it, it's a very important verse for us to look at. So I want to look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, this verse in the scripture tells us very specifically one thing that will happen to us after we die. Now, we don't know everything there is to know about heaven or eternity, but the scripture does give us clues to different things that are going to happen. And this is one specific thing that he is very, very clear about in the scripture, that we, you and me, everyone listening, everyone not listening today, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be rewarded for what we did on earth, whether that was good or bad. And, and this is a truth that I believe we often need to let sink into us. Maybe we even need to pause for a moment and, and think about it. Because what the reality of this truth means is that this all matters. That, that everything you do day in and day out in your life matters how you spend your day, how you spend your hours, how you spend your life, it, it matters greatly. Whether it feels like it matters right now uh, as you're walking through your life or, or maybe your years feel wasted at times or frustrating, but we will all be called into account on how we spent the substance of our lives. Paul reminds us of this in verse 10, and he says, look, in light of the reality that you will absolutely someday stand before Jesus Christ and you will give account for what you did on earth, I want you to remember that you are called 
to a ministry of reconciliation. That we cannot ignore this call of God in our lives to share our faith because we will someday stand before Jesus and we will be held accountable for what we did with this call of God in our lives to share our faith, whether we did it well or whether we ignored it and neglected it. So let's pick up in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 14. It says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Okay, so this uh, particular verse begins our conversation about the ministry of reconciliation. And it talks about that the word that jumps out for me is the word compels. That word compels. And so in order to share our faith, we have to be motivated and compelled. And I believe it's by two things. And the first thing we see right here in verse 14, we have to be motivated by the love of Christ. Now, I think uh, a nuance that's really important to see here is that Paul is not saying that his love for Christ compelled him. He is not saying, oh, I just love God so much that I am going to tell other people about God. It wasn't about how much Paul loved Christ that motivated him to share his faith. It was the love of Christ. It was this unchanging, indescribable, beautiful, and strong love of Christ. It was the fact that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for us, that Jesus rescued us from our sinful and our hopeless lives, that Jesus loves us more than we could ever understand or imagine. It's that kind of love, Christ's love for us, that motivates Paul, that compels him to share his faith. And that's the same uh, understanding, revelation of God's love that should motivate us. So as Paul had a revelation of Christ's love for him and for others, he was compelled to share his faith. Paul is saying here, in other words, God's love is such a compelling force in my life. It's so real to me that it possesses me and it directs me that I cannot help but share the good news of Jesus with others. Now, the other thing that I feel that we need to be compelled by is actually back in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. And it's, it reads this, uh, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. So that's talking about how uh, it's compelling us, it's persuading us to, to tell others. And this particularly we can pull out of here is that we need to be compelled to share our faith because of Christ's great love, but also because of our great fear of the Lord. Now you might be thinking, yeah, but how can we be motivated by both fear and love? How, how can those two things coexist? Well, I think just a quick definition of the fear of the Lord is it's not, uh, the fear of the Lord, it's not terror. It's not being afraid. It's not thinking, oh, uh, if I don't share my faith, I'm going to be punished by an angry God. That's not what this scripture is talking about. It's not meant to be intimidating or threatening, uh, a threatening kind of fear like we can imagine when you hear a word like that. The fear of the Lord is an awesome reverence. It's a fear that grows out of a respect. It's a healthy fear of God. And this fear, I believe, comes when we have a full understanding of how holy and how sovereign and how omnipotent and how strong our God is. How big God is and how little we are. How he holds every molecule of the universe in his competent and complete control. When we begin to understand uh, how amazing and awesome God is, we can have a holy fear as we have a relationship with him. Now remember, the lens in which we're reading this is what we need to, we need to be prepared to give account for our lives and our whole life someday will be exposed and estimated in front of a holy God. 
And so when God asks us to share our faith with the people on earth and some day we stand before him, will we be able to say that we did that? And I think this holy and healthy fear compels us and motivates us to then share our faith boldly and share it often. And so we need to be compelled and motivated by the love of Christ, just the overwhelming, unending love of Christ, but also the fear of God, the respect and healthy fear of God that we, we can learn and understand as we come into relationship with him. So let's keep reading in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 15, it says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And so the message of the gospel that we're sharing is that Jesus makes all things new. That he totally transforms. He doesn't just rehabilitate. He doesn't just fix up. He doesn't just repurpose. But he makes us new. He makes us all brand new. And, and what does it mean to be a new creation in Christ, as this verse says in 16? It means that everything about us has changed, that the old man is dead, our old self is dead, crucified with Christ, and all things are new. I, as I thought through this, you know, it, it's like we think new. We think differently. We don't think like the rest of the world. We think like Jesus, our thoughts, our desires, our, our ambitions. Uh, they all change to come under the authority of Jesus. We think in harmony with God. We act new. Uh, we act different. Our transformed mind is followed by transformed actions. We don't do the same things. Our life looks different uh, after we encounter Christ than it did before. Uh, we have a new home. We perceive things differently. Our focus it becomes not of this world and what we can accumulate here on earth, but on heaven and our destination and our goals change. We, we may lose admiration for the things on this earth and our, our affections and, and think about the things above. We work to store up treasures in heaven rather than on earth because we have a new home when we're completely captivated and when we're changed by Christ. And we have a new heart. Uh, we're different. Our character, our nature, our soul has been changed, not only on the outside, but on the inside as well. You know, there's a story that describes this scripture on being a new creation uh, told by St. Augustine. Uh, the story goes, in his younger years, he had been a part of a lot of serious trouble. He was a, he was a troublemaker. He was always getting into uh, bad situations. And, and he, he even says himself he was in great sin. And after his uh, conversion, he uh, met a woman who had been with him during that time and participated in a lot of the trouble with him. And they were on a street and she came walking and recognized him and she approached him and she calls his name Augustine. Uh, but he turns on his heel and runs away from her with all of his speed. And she just, she just continues shouting, Augustine, it, it's I, it, it's me, it's me, it's I. And he turns around and he says, but it isn't I anymore. The old Augustine that you knew is dead. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. And starts running again the other way. And so he just had this very real experience saying, I'm not the same person I used to be. So you might think that you're going to encounter me and I'm going to be the same, but I'm completely different. My head, what I think about, what I act like, my home, my ambitions, my heart, everything about me is new. 
So let's keep reading back to 2 Corinthians 5 uh, in verse 18. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's where we get that, that phrase. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has com committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, this particular set of verses, it's so important to understand uh, what the people thought about uh, when Paul said, you are an ambassador, you're Christ's ambassador. So in the Roman Empire, uh, there were two kinds of provinces. There was a senatorial province and an imperial province. Okay, senatorial provinces were made up of people uh, who were peaceful. They were not at war with their government. They had surrendered. They had submitted. Uh, they were peaceful provinces. But the imperial provinces were, were quite different. They were dangerous. Uh, they were, had people that were rebelling against Rome every time they could find a way. And they were very difficult provinces uh, to, to have. And they were causing all kinds of trouble. And so Rome said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send ambassadors to the imperial provinces from the senatorial provinces to try to make peace. And these ambassadors were supposed to go to those places. They were supposed to live amongst the people. And they were, uh, their idea was to stop rebellion by repairing relationships. They were supposed to make friends with the people, try to explain to them why the rules were important, try to, try to figure out if, uh, if different acts of violence were starting to, to uh, spike up, and they were supposed to try to settle it down so that nothing got too out of control. And so when the early Christians, what they understood ambassadors to be is Paul was explaining to them, that look, in the same way that the government has sent ambassadors from one province that surrendered and, and completely submitted to another province to help the rebellious people understand, Paul is saying to them, you need to be ambassadors for Christ. He's saying that this world is in rebellion against God. The world is like the imperial province. Our job as Christ followers is to be his ambassadors and declare peace and not war. To help people come into relationship with God. To go and live where they are. To, to explain to them how God works. To be Christ's hands and feet and act and show them what it is that God wants to do. How he can change our lives. And so the people are understanding what Paul is saying to go be ambassadors for Christ in this context. George Schultz uh, was the Secretary of State during the Reagan administration, and he kept a, a large globe in his office. And when newly appointed U.S. ambassadors came in, they would always have an interview with the Secretary of State, and Schultz would test them. He would spin the globe, and he would say, okay, uh, find the country that you're, you're, you're from, identify your country, and show me that you can find it on the globe. And most of the new ambassadors would look on the globe and they would find the country on the globe where they were going. They would point to Japan or Madagascar or South Africa and they would find the country in which they were going to. And Schultz would correct each ambassador every time and say, nope, you're wrong. You're wrong. And many times the ambassadors would look up at him and, and be puzzled. And Schultz would say, listen, never forget your 
going to live in another country. You're going to be assigned a position in another country, but your country is the United States of America. And that every ambassador that is sent should represent the United States. They should take care of our interests. They should have the United States in mind as they, they have conversations and as they make decisions. And so in the same way, as believers, no matter where God sends us, we need to remember where we come from. What is our country? Well, we are citizens of heaven first. We are citizens of heaven and we are sent to represent the king of heaven. And so no matter where we end up, we should always have heaven's interests in mind. That God's interests, God's, God's agenda should always be our first thought and our first thing in mind. So Paul ends this passage with a verse uh, that I believe really sums up the gospel. It sums up the message of God. And it's a verse I would encourage you to commit to memory. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in order to be God strong, we have to share the hope that we have. The faith that we have in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, every week we've been boiling down uh, these God's strong spiritual disciplines into some really practical steps. And today I want to take these last few minutes we have together and I want to walk you through really practically how exactly do you share your faith? Now that you understand this is part of being a believer. This is part of being a Christ follower. But you may ask yourself, you know, how do I do it? I, I believe that some of you, who are listening today, really are compelled by the love of Christ. You really do have the fear of the Lord. You have experienced this transformation of feeling brand new, and you have accepted the call in your life to be an ambassador for Jesus. But when it comes right down to it, you just don't know how or where to start. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a very long time and you used to share your faith all the time, but it's been a while and you feel rusty or out of practice or you don't know how to relate anymore. Well, let me just give you in these last few moments that we have together some practical language, a practical tool that I think will be helpful for you and I'm hoping will jumpstart your dedication and your commitment to sharing your faith with other people in your life. So when we look at the whole Bible uh, from Genesis to Revelation, every problem that we encounter in the world and in, in the scripture exists under three categories. And, and I call it a triple crisis or my, I make it very personal, my triple crisis. It's not just my triple crisis, it's all of humanity's problems. And the problems are this. One, I have a rebellious heart. Two, I have a guilty record. And three, I have a broken life. I have a rebellious heart, I have a guilty record, and I have a broken life. So what is the gospel? What is God's message to you and to me? What is the Bible all about? Well, it's all about how Jesus has come to rescue us from all of our crises. How Jesus has come to rescue us from all of our crises. And, and this is the framework that you can use to have a conversation about Jesus or about faith with someone. 
In fact, uh, you might be able to use some examples from their life, or maybe you use some examples from your own life uh, to help understand that we are in crisis without a relationship with Jesus. Let me just unpack the crisis side of this a little bit. Uh, you might use some language. You might say something like this. You know, number one, I have a rebellious heart. My, my life, it doesn't work out the way I want it to. Even my best intentions seem to turn selfish at times. As a matter of fact, as soon as I, I hear of a law or of a new rule, I'm already thinking about how to get around it. My, my heart is just rebellious in so many, so many ways. I have a guilty record. I've not met God's standard. Not even close. I've lied. I've hurt people. I've been selfish. I've, covered, uh, I've coveted other people's lives or other people's things. I've not lived a perfect life every day. And third, I have a broken life. You know, you don't have to look very far in my life or in yours to find brokenness. We're people. We are scarred and bruised. We make a mess out of even the best things that we have. And so this triple crisis, we, we, we all live it every day. And as you are sharing your faith, maybe your vulnerability will help someone else understand that it's not just you who has a triple crisis, it's all of us. Uh, maybe as you're talking with someone, they'll agree with you. Yeah, you know, I have a guilty record too, or I have brokenness in my life that, that, that hurts me, that I can't figure out, or I have a, I have a heart that, that isn't always turned toward God. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was um, the physician to the Queen of England. He became a well-known pastor. But he put it this way. He said, the worth of a medicine is determined by the disease from which it cures us. The worth of a medicine is determined by the disease from which it cures us. And so there's no point in showing someone the cure until you first convince someone of the disease that they have. And the truth is, we all have an eternally terminal disease. That sin keeps us away from a holy God. But if we don't understand that we have the disease, if we don't understand that we live in the middle of a triple crisis, then the solution isn't very valuable. But when we can get to the point where we can have maybe someone you're speaking to, or you can explain to someone, look, we are all living in the middle of a triple crisis, but there is a solution, and it's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus Christ because in, ex in exchange for my rebellious heart, God offers a new heart. He removes my heart of stone and he gives me a heart of flesh. He, he writes his law on my heart and he inclines us to follow and obey him. He does the miraculous. He adopts us as his own. And in exchange for the guilty record, God offers me a perfect record. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we just read it. It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. Meaning, God treats Jesus the way my sin deserved to be treated. And that's on the cross. Uh, he was punished in my place. And now he treats me like Jesus alone deserves to be treated. He exchanges my guilty record for Jesus' perfect record. So in exchange for a rebellious heart, he gives us a new heart. In exchange for a guilty record, he gives us a perfect record. And in exchange for a broken life, he gives us a new life. And we talked about that moments ago in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Remember, uh, we, we, we have a new way to act, a new way to think, a new home, a new heart, a new life. And that's the gospel and, and I want to encourage you, after you explain it and after you share your faith in this way, you can just simply ask the question to someone, do you want Jesus to do that work in your heart today? 
Do you need a new heart, a new life, a perfect record? Because that's the kind of work that he does. Do you want Jesus to do that work in your heart today? And this is the message. This is the message to which we are persuading others. Now, let me remind you that you can't persuade others fully if you haven't fully celebrated it yourself. Like if you aren't convinced that you have a triple crisis, if you aren't convinced that you are in a position that only Jesus can save you, then you're not gonna be able to persuade anyone into that either. If the gospel is weak and fragile in your life, then your life of persuasion is gonna be weak and fragile. And so to the degree that you celebrate the gospel will be the degree that you're persuasive in the way that you bring it forth around you. So maybe the first step today is for you to process through the fact that you truly live in a triple crisis and that Jesus Christ has come to make you new. And he is the one who is going to turn your life around. He's going to exchange those things for things that are new and things that give us life. Charles Peace uh, was a gentleman who was condemned to death row uh, years and years ago. And as is the practice, uh, a pastor leads the condemned man to his execution. And as he was going, the pastor was reading uh, from a prayer book liturgy and he was reading scriptures about heaven and he was reading scriptures about hell and he was reading scriptures about the eternal uh, uh, thing that awaits us. And, and Charles Peace tapped him on the shoulder and said, sir, uh, do you mind me asking you a question? Do you believe what you're reading? And the pastor said, of course. Of course I believe what I'm reading. And the prisoner said, if I believed what you believe, I would crawl on my hands and knees to the four corners of the world across broken glass to warn people of such an eternity. So this is how I want to end today. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, would you just take a minute and stop and, and grab something to write on? And I want you to write down the name or the initials of someone that you're praying for. Someone that you want to share your faith with in these coming weeks. A conversation that you need God to open up a door between you and that person. I want you to write the names of people, of souls that have a broken life, a guilty record, and a rebellious heart. Because Jesus has come to save them from their triple crisis. And, and we need to tell them, we cannot keep silent anymore. If you can't think of anyone, maybe uh, you, you just can't think of anyone in that moment. I want you to just write, God, I'm willing. I'm willing for you to bring somebody into my life. And God will be so faithful to do that so that we can explain the greatness and the goodness of who he is. So take a minute wherever you are and write down a few of those names as we're trusting God to work in that way. Let me just pray for us today. I'm going to pray over your list and I'm going to pray for you uh, as we talk about this God-strong discipline of faith sharing. Father God, we come to you and I thank you, Lord, that we were uh, in a triple crisis, but God, you have come to save us. God, I thank you that you've done all the work on the cross that we can spend eternity with you. Would you allow that uh, just your love and the fear of the Lord to compel us and motivate us to share our faith? Lord, we want to be brand new. We want to look at people in a new way. Would you give us the words? And would, would you just help us have conversations? I pray for the people that we wrote down on this list or even the people we can't think of right now that you want us to be a conduit of your love to. And I pray that you would show us and we'd be willing 
God, that we would take up uh, this, this uh, ministry of reconciliation, Lord, that you have given us, and that you will just show us uh, the places that you want us to share the great love of the gospel. God, I pray that you would quicken our feet, that you would give us willing hearts, Lord, that we could be so motivated and compelled because God, someday we'll stand before you and we will account for all the things that we did or didn't do here on earth. Lord, thank you for saving us from our triple crisis. We love you and we give you praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.